0: God could have chosen anywhere on earth, but he chose Israel. He could have revealed his redemption anywhere. He chose Jerusalem. The house of the Lord might have been any place on earth. He chose Mount Moriah. Past, present, and future, the mountain of the Lord has been a beacon of hope and remains a strategic site for the next temple of God. Dateline Jerusalem. The Coming Temple.
1: We're so glad you joined us today for a brand new series that we are excited about around this table. Mm -hmm. Hi guys, glad you're with us today. Thank you.
0: And it is so good to be here and it's so incredible. Every time I see Dr. Seif, as you guys know, this is his last series that he's going to be
2: teaching. Now you have to deal with us. Learning from the Bible, yes. But, but this series, yeah, what a series to go out on. There's been renewed interest in prophecy and the temple because five red heifers have showed up. It's a game changer and we want to go into more
1: of the prophetic implications of that and we will in the coming weeks. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Right now we take you to the Kidron Valley where Dr. Seif is on location. Let's go there now.
3: The word paradise comes from a Latin word meaning enclosed garden. I mention this because Bible readers know that Adam and Hevah, Adam and Eve, were placed in an enclosed garden, Gan Eden, the Hebrew term for it. Of course, things were not always so mellow. Uh, We read in early Genesis, before this, there was darkness, chaos, void. But then we're told, The Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters and brought forth new life forms, first with Adam, and then subsequent to that he sleeps, and from him, uh, from a part of him emerges Heva, or Eve, and they're placed there in paradise. People wonder where paradise was. There is a very cogent argument, a very well-reasoned argument that paradise in antiquity is Israel in modernity, the Promised Land, the Holy Land. I mentioned that Bible readers are aware that uh, Adam and Cheva were kicked out of the Garden. Sin had made its entrance onto the stage of the human drama. They were vitiated, they were defiled, they were expunged or kicked out, to use the language of the text in Genesis 3, vayishlachehu adonai Elohim, Eden, began Eden, that the Lord uh, sent them forth from Eden, La'avot et Hadamah, to till the earth, to eke out a living uh, by, the, by the sweat of their brow. Uh, Bible readers are familiar with the story, but the question is where? If you look at the continents uh, on the globe, uh, they're like puzzle pieces, and they could all collapse together. And if they did, you'd find that Jerusalem, that Israel is central. The Bible mentions uh, various streams that, uh, that were there part of Eden, one of which is known as the Gehun, which is not far from me here in Israel. I'm coming to you from a garden, it's not Eden, it's the Kidron Valley, and you can see behind me how very lush it is. And then there's the wall, and then there's the temple. Why do I wanna bring the story Dateline Jerusalem to you from here? Because Jerusalem has always been central since the dawn of biblical history. And when you mankind was kicked out of Eden, when you look at the story in Bereshit and Genesis, there's this movement back to a place called the Land of Promise, Eretz Kanaan, the Land of Canaan, Eretz Yisrael, There was a fellow, Avram. There were stirrings within his breast to come to this place. The place was ground zero. It's not just where sin entered the stage of the human drama, but it's where God dwelt with man. Now, when we look at the story of the emergence of the nation of Israel in modernity, and when we consider the story of the prospects of the temples rise along with it, We bring these themes in play back to the land, back to the place where God makes his glory to dwell. Kavod, his glory, the Shekhinah, God's uh, presence uh, among his people. You might recall that Adam and Cheva walked with God, but then sin messed that up. When you look in the Older Testament, there's the mechanism by which individuals could be reconciled to God through atonement, through a sacrificial animal. New Testament Christians needn't abide that. It it doesn't exist to abide. Uh, Jesus Christ himself is the sacrifice for all and the high priest, both the high priest and the sacrifice. But when you look at biblical literature, and we're going to do just that in the series. We're gonna explore from beginning to end, from the Alpha and the Omega, we're gonna look and see uh, the story of sacrifice, of temple, of the means by which God was restored to you mankind, how Jesus fulfills that end as we push to the ragged edge of time. See, here, coming to you from this valley, I'm being protological, I'm looking at first things, but I wanna get eschatological, last things. I wanna look at Bible prophecy and see what the good Lord says about this good land. See what the book says about the emergence of a reconstituted temple in this land.
2: The land from which Dr. Syphus is speaking is, of course, Jerusalem. More specifically, the Kidron Valley adjacent to the Temple Mount. The burning question in this series will be, when will third temple be built? We asked former Knesset member Yehuda Glick whether he thought Israel was ready to assume its place upon the Temple Mount. We'll continue now with Yehuda Glick who's been a guest on this program in the past. A former Knesset member and candidate for president of Israel, a survivor of an assassination attempt, he now serves as chairman
4: of the Temple Mount Heritage Foundation. Here's Yehuda Glick. The state of Israel was established in 1948, but the Zionist movement, the national Jewish Zionist movement was established in the mid of the 19th century. It takes time from the moment you make that change in the attitude till you can actually build a temple.
2: Genesis 22 tells us that it was upon this mountain, Mount Moriah, that Avraham bound his son Yitzchak and laid him on a sacrificial altar. Just as Avraham was about to plunge his knife into the chest of Yitzchak, God provided a ram for the sacrifice and Yitzchak was spared. The mount will later come to be known as the Temple Mount, the place where two temples would be built, the first one by King Shlomo, Solomon. 2 Chronicles 3. Now Shlomo began to build the house of the Lord at Yerushalayim, on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Arunua, also known as Ornan, the Jebusite. Today the rectangular platform covers
0: 35 acres and serves as the place of worship for Muslims in the Dome of the Rock and in the nearby Al-Aqsa Mosque. While the Muslim dome of the rock is built upon the rock that some have deemed to be the location of Shlomo's temple, there's some question as to how the very uneven surface within the dome could have served as a threshing floor. More recent thinking is that the dome of the tablets just north of the dome of the rock was the actual location of the temple. The bedrock under this dome remains exposed and untouched, just as it's been for thousands of years. It's very possible that this was the threshing floor of Aruna, Aligned perfectly with the Eastern Gate, this site fits well with the placement of a future temple given in Ezekiel 40. Furthermore, it lines up well with the site on the Mount of Olives
2: where a red heifer will be slayed and its ashes collected for temple purification. The subject of the ashes of a red heifer has caused a stir among those interested in news about the end times. Our cameras documented the selection of five heifers in Texas by rabbis from Yerushalayim. And now a site on the Mount of Olives has been selected where one of the heifers will be slayed. Yitzchak Mammo of Boney Yisrael has purchased land on the Mount where the ashes of the heifer will be gathered, a subject he'll address in future programs in the series. Right now, he further explains the importance of the Temple Mount. More than 2,000 years, a lot of Jewish and Christianity and Muslim people written about the Temple Mount. It's very simple that it was here. We know that between the uh, 14th century to the 19th century, Jewish not allowed to get inside to the Jewish quarter, to to the old city. And they would came, They was coming to the Mount of Olives to see the temple mountain. We have books from 1,100, 1,260. Uh, all all of the generation we had a very, very uh, specific place where the temple had to be was, and he will be built at the same place.
0: The International Christian Embassy Jerusalem has had its hand on the pulse of Zion for many years. Annually, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Embassy holds a march through the streets of Jerusalem, displaying their support for the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David Parsons is Vice President of the Embassy and speaks internationally about Israel and our prophetic times.
5: From my 30 years of trying to understand, you know, exactly where the temple was located, where was the Holy of Holies, it's either in or so close to the Dome of the Rock, it's hard to separate from it. In Revelation 11, it talks about um, uh, John is told he's been up in heaven. Now he's told go down and and describe, or he says it says measure the temple. And the court uh, and the altar. It says, "Measure the temple and the altar, and those who worship there." Mean, it means when you are told to measure, go describe what's going on down there. He's seen everything else up till then from heaven, but now he's given a view of what's happening there in the temple courts. But it says, "Leave out the court of the Gentiles, uh, because it's going to be still trampled down, of the Gentiles." for for a season. So even, you know, there's an opening there that part of the Temple Mount, just as in ancient times, Gentiles can be there. But of course, you know, this whole question of whether uh, if you worship Allah of the Quran, is it the same as the God of the Bible? My view is is no, it's not the same nature and character revealed of God in the Bible as in, in the Quran. How this all plays out, I don't know exactly, but there, you know, the the Revelation 11 suggests that somewhere up there on the Temple Mount, there will continue to be a trampling down of a certain area that's pretty important to, to God and to his people.
6: David Parsons, thank you so much for your insight. It's good to see you again. If any of you have watched our program for a while, you know that our son Ryan worked for the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem with David Parsons.
1: We consider him a good friend. Yes, mm-hmm.
6: good insight. Yeah.
1: That is so cool, the insight's
0: incredible. Location, location, location. It's that term you've heard in real estate. Why is a shack in front of a nuclear plant not as valuable as one with a beautiful view of the ocean? Well, what does Eden,
2: Jerusalem, right. and uh, Mount Moriah all have in common, Caleb? Well, as Jeff explained in his teaching, the location of the past temples is, directly coincides with Har Habait, the Temple Mount. Jerusalem and Eden were the same location in the past. And this is important because Eden was actually a tall mountain in the past, the greatest of all mountains. And it was a transdimensional highway that went from the earth all the way into the heavenlies. At the top of this mountain was known as the Mount of Congregation. There was the throne of El Elyon, who sat at the Divine Council with B'nai Elohim. And Elohim would descend that mountain in the cool of the evening to walk and talk with Adam in the garden. And everything will come full circle in the end, I promise, guys, with this great mountain, the mountain of the temple of the Lord, rising up again during the millennial reign. That makes that
0: location so incredible. The spot where God himself came down with man in commune is the same spot that Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, is at now. incredible.
6: And that's why it's so important because right now Mm -hmm. we are seeing things, you know, there has to be a a tectonic shift, doesn't it, for that mountain to come up, but we're seeing movement Right now, on that's why it's always been about it. But yes. right now, it's just like it's rapid fire. It's and they just have going fast. found
2: under the Temple Mount a fault line. There's a literal fault line. We know that when Yeshua returns, he steps foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in half. And that splitting will go all the way up to the Temple Mount, and he will he will cram through that Eastern Gate. It's it's barricaded up now, but he will rule and reign from Jerusalem someday.
1: It's really good. Mm.
6: Probably yeah. very soon.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Right now, we take you to the Knesset in Jerusalem with Dr. Seif's teaching. Uh, Behind me is the Knesset building here in Jerusalem.
3: Knesset comes from the word meaning assembly. And there, that harks to a political assembly. But the reason why that exists is because there was a national assembly, uh, principally though not exclusively, uh, constituted by Jews who came back. Uh, after the Holocaust. Now, there were, there were waves of uh, immigration to, to Israel before that, but the Holocaust uh, really stepped it up. And to think that people could rebound and make their way back to the ancestral homeland, unheard of historically. It just doesn't happen. You know, nations come and nations go, but they don't rebound after going. And uh, but that's the story of Israel in so many ways because uh, it's, it's not just a national story. Uh, the, the national hopes and aspirations are tethered uh, to people that refer to themselves as the people of the book. Speaking of which, I have a book in my hand right now, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 14. He says, I will put my spirit in you. He's speaking to dispirited exiles here with a with breath of new life. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will place you in your own land. Uh, He says he's gonna do that and he did it. Uh, It's prophecy fulfilled in our day. Then he goes at the end, then you will know that that, that I the Lord have spoken. In so many ways, uh, Israel's reemergence as a nation state uh, gives credence to the proposition that God has spoken. It's an attestation to the verse that says he watches over his word to perform it. Why is that? Because he's a restorative
4: God. We're, to- we're living in a time where the prophecy that talks about the announcing of the Kingdom of God in the world is unfolding in front of us. And that has many stages. And yes. The building of the temple is one of them, the Messiah is one of them, the uh, recognition of the world of one God is one of them. There are many, many parts of this puzzle. And so, so we're, we are talking about building a temple as a palace of God, and he has a king. One of the descendants of King David is the king that, he's, that he chooses upon. And in order to get to that, we have to understand that it's in our hands, it's our mission, it's our assignment. Hashem is waiting for us, us, all of us, all nations. He wants the people of Israel to lead, but He wants the, people, the nations to join. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's the nations that, that, that are actually supposed to wake up the people of Israel. In Psalm 126 it says, the nations say to the to people of Israel, God is doing great things for you. And then the people of Israel says, oh my gosh, right, God is doing great things for us. So sometimes we even need the nations to wake us up. Because sometimes, it says we're like dreamers. People think, what, well, you're like dreamers, something great thing is happening. No, sometimes we're dreaming. We're busy sleeping, we're dreaming. And the nations say, guys, wake up! God's doing great things! How did the Jewish people keep Jerusalem in our heart for so many years? Very simple. First of all, we prayed toward Jerusalem. Second of all, we mentioned Jerusalem in our prayer three times a day, every holiday, every event, every marriage, every birthday. We're, yeah, we have to go toward the building of the temple. But the building of the temple will be the end, after we lay down the foundations. And laying the foundations is getting the people to return to Zion, to raise up the banner of Zion, to establish this global Zionist movement towards Zion. And then, once we make Zion holy again, it's our mission to build the temple and to start the worship of the temple for the sake of the world.
3: You've already seen, if you followed our ministry, we have shown you pictures of uh, Orthodox Jews that have retooled, refabricated elements to be used in a rebuilt Third Temple. You know, the table of showbread has been rebuilt, the candelabra, the menorah, has been rebuilt, various paraphernalia used in sacrifices has been rebuilt. Uh, There's one new addition to the mix, and that is, for a temple to be rebuilt, it has to be dedicated, and it takes a special kind of sacrifice for that, a heifer, a red cow, that has uh, only red hairs, nothing but. So it's an anomaly uh, that, according to Rambam, uh, Rambam, uh, Maimonides is his name, well, Rav Moshe ben Maimun, who is to Judaism what Billy Graham uh, was to evangelical Christianity or what John Calvin was. Uh, Rambam, who is arguably uh, Judaism's uh, timeless sage, was speaking of this coming day in advance of the Messiah's coming with the temples being rebuilt. And he said that, that there have only ever been Nine red heifers, we need to find the tenth, and then the Mashiach. (laughs) I mention that because five red heifers were inspected and found in Texas, and the Lord graced our ministry to be there with cameras to show that story. And now this series is a follow-up to it. We're interested in the emergence of Israel as a nation state, yes, but we're interested in not just political issues, but religious ones as well that have prophetic connotations. You're going to find that in this series,
2: Dateline, Jerusalem. Guys, temples and red heifers and the rebirth state of Israel, oh my. The prophetic implications of what you just heard is mind-boggling. Even from Yehuda Glick, a practicing Jew, declared prophetically by the scriptures that the Jews have fallen asleep and need the Gentiles, the goyim, to wake them up. This coincides with what Paul said in Romans eleven eleven that the national rejection of Israel brought about the salvation for the Gentiles that might spur the Jews to jealousy to accept their Messiah. And guys, the red heifers have appeared and it's time for that message of salvation to the Jews to be preached. Now, I had the opportunity to speak with Mark Hitchcock, a Bible prophecy expert, and he's going to explain to us the next prophetic event on God's calendar. Mark, it's a pleasure to be with you today talk about Dateline Jerusalem, all these prophetic events that are unfolding right now. And you are no stranger to prophecy, having written many books on the subject. I was wondering, from your perspective, what is the next event on God's prophetic timeline?
7: Well, I think God's, uh, the next event on God's prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church. Yes. Now, we're living in the church age, mm-hmm. and uh, there's, there's nothing that has to happen before the rapture can take place. You know, people often ask, you know, what has to happen before the rapture? Nothing. Uh, The rapture is an imminent event. I believe it's something that can happen at any moment. Mm -hmm. So it's something that's certain that will happen, but it's uncertain when it will happen. So that's part of the reason we need to live with such urgency and expectancy is that that's that's the next event. Now, there's other things that could happen before the rapture, Mm -hmm. but nothing has to happen before the rapture. So I think that's the next event on God's prophetic calendar that's really going to trigger everything else. Then it's going to begin to flow out of that.
2: That's true. I believe that. Uh, interesting thing lately, the subject of a rapture has not been popular amongst believers being taught in the church. In fact, pre-tribulation rapture, people have been crying apostasy. Mm-hmm. This is going to happen. We're going through the tribulation. It's kind of like their, their minds changed during COVID. Oh, all these terrible things are happening. The tribulation started. What do you mm-hmm. say about the timing of the rapture?
7: Well, the rapture I, I do think happens before the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if it doesn't happen before the tribulation, then it can't be imminent. That's right. Because obviously if it happens in the middle of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation, then it can't happen today because we're not in the tribulation yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, many places in the Bible too, in First Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians, 1. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Revelation 3.10, all talk about, I believe, the fact that we're going to be rescued from the coming wrath. That's right. And the wrath there that's being spoken of in those contexts, I believe, is the wrath of the tribulation or the day of the Lord says we're going to be rescued out of that time of, of wrath. And I think the whole seven-year period is God's wrath. You know, some think only the last three and a half years yeah. is God's wrath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they believe in what's called a mid-tribulation yeah. rapture. Some think only the last one-fourth is. That's called the pre-wrath mm-hmm. view. And then the post-tribulation view is that, you know, when Jesus returns to earth at His second coming, we'll be caught up in meet Him and just come back down to the earth with Him. Yeah. And so they think the wrath is just concentrated right there at the end. But I think the, the whole period is this time of wrath. And we're going to be caught up before that time period comes. And the event, though, that starts the seven-year tribulation is not the rapture. Yeah. It's, this, it's this covenant that the Antichrist will come and make with Israel for seven years. So mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of have the wrong idea that when the rapture happens, that starts that seven-year tribulation. But the, the rapture doesn't start the tribulation. The rapture ends the church age. Hmm. Then sometime after that, this seven-year treaty will be made with the Antichrist in Israel. and That's what's going to then kind of start the time clock of God there for those last seven years. That's
2: right. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for that insight. Hmm. When Josh and I stepped in as teachers for this ministry, we wanted to make sure that we did donations and giving right. We wanted to focus to be on what the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and not a demand for a dollar amount. That's why whenever you give to us, we want to give in return. We know the Holy Spirit will bless you, but we have this amazing resource, The End, written by Mark Hitchcock. It's an encyclopedia of all things prophetic, and it makes the complicated simple for you to understand. And we're going to give it to you for any gift amount that you have. And it's very important, as you heard Mark speak about the rapture. It's imminent. This is coming quickly. Yeshua is coming back, and it's our job to tell more souls about Yeshua before the time is up. Acts 4.12 says neither is there
0: salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Yeshua has to get out there. Mm -hmm. Too often in life we live For the tomorrow, who am I supposed to become? What am I supposed to do? And instead of looking to today, we're looking forward to a future that may never happen. But you've been placed strategically where you're at today to be a blessing and a gift in a ministry of the love and saving power of Yeshua to the world around you. And so today is the day you ask yourself, who am I to tell this message to? And if you don't know Yeshua, today is the day for you to decide to make the choice to surrender your life to the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, rose on the third day, and is residing behind the Father today, preparing a place for you. I encourage you today to ask the Holy Spirit why you're here now.
6: And why we're all here is because of this timetable happening in That's Jerusalem. Right. And we're focused on that in this series. Yeah. We're all about the prophetic and what's happening in the dateline Jerusalem. And, and Mark just said it, we know it, the Rapture is next. Nothing else has yeah. to happen right before the great catching away.
2: That's right, and we've all been called according to the Great Commission. It's not just our job to preach the gospel. It's everyone, even in your home. You may think, I don't have a job to do. Yeshua has called you personally to go out and tell your neighbors, everyone in your sphere of influence, He is the Messiah. It's all incumbent upon us.
1: i I just got to say this too, that what we're hearing on this program, Mm -hmm. we don't hear in the church from the pulpit a lot. Unfortunately. So right here, right now, Mm -hmm. is a great place to hear what's happening in our world today. Also, I just want to say, Jerusalem, beautiful photography that you've seen. We want to take you to that place in Jerusalem. We take tours twice a year, both the spring and the fall. We would love for you to go to some of these great places that we've shown you in this program even today.
6: So much more to come next week. We have more. You guys are teaching. Dr. Seif is in Hmm. Israel teaching. We will discuss. But for now, we have to go.
0: Time to go. Well, as we always say,
1: Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim.
6: Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
1: Our resource this week, The End, written by Mark Hitchcock. This 500 page hardcover book is made available to you for your generous donation to Zola Levitt Ministries. Contents include The Mystery of the Rapture, The Judgment Seat of Christ, The Battle of Gog and Magog, The Mark of the Beast, The Campaign of Armageddon, The New Jerusalem, and so much more. The accompanying bookmark by Joshua and Caleb provides important Scripture from God's Word concerning the end. Please remember, we depend on your generous gifts, which allow us to bring timely updates regarding Bible prophecy and the end of days. Would you consider partnering with us today? Thank you so much for your continuous support of this ministry. Join us right now on our social media sites for exclusive content. Visit our website, levitt.com, for tour information broadcast schedule, free monthly newsletter, and online store. Call us anytime at 1-800-WONDERS and ask about this week's resource. Our Jewish Roots is a presentation of Zola Levitt Ministries. Partner with us. As a 100% viewer-funded ministry, your gifts allow us to bring you our weekly television series, social media outlets, website, and other ministry endeavors. Please remember, we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.